1: Hey, Tommy, have you ever wondered what car and truck is most reliable? Yes, but there'd be no way to find it out for sure. Yeah, unless you uh, started a business that basically depended on the reliability of a vehicle to make money, which is what this podcast is all about. Okay, well, how does that work? Well, in this podcast, I interview a friend of ours, Dan Boxbaum, who started a business about a year and a half ago where he rented about 30 different vehicles on Turo. What, what's Turo? So Turo is this online platform where you or I, or anybody out there, can basically uh, rent your own car to people for a day, for a week, just basically become the Avis of yourself. <laughs> okay, and then, so did he just like have one car? Did he have two cars? How many cars are we talking? Well, he started with one car, so people would go to Turo, and they'd say, hey, I need a car, and then usually the way it would work is they would pick the car... That, Dan would set a rate and then they would either pick it up at his house or, you know, he would drop it off at their house. But he decided to make it into a business. So what he did was he actually placed the cars and eventually became cars, up to 30 cars, at the airport so people could fly in. Uh, they'd take a shuttle to an offsite parking place, and then they would rent the vehicle, and then they would return it. And eventually, he got big enough where he managed other people's vehicles as well. Wow, so he was basically running his own rental fleet, but using kind of interesting cars. Are we talking Versas? Are we talking, you know, your, your typical Camrys? What was he renting? Yeah, that's the cool part. He was renting everything from very kind of plain-jane cars like Kias and Hyundais, to very exciting cars like Hellcats and G-Wagons, and F-150s and Gladiators and Wranglers. Uh, and basically, I had a chance to talk to him about which of those vehicles was the most reliable. Okay, well let's uh let's just dive right into it. Sit back and relax or keep driving if you're driving. TFL Talking Cars is on the air, the world's most popular car podcast. Okay, maybe not yet, but we're working on it. All right, hey guys, welcome to Another great episode of uh, TFL Talking Cars and today I've got a very special guest. Um, His name is Dan Buxbaum and he is going to be talking about the fleet of cars that he had on Turo. So we're really talking about, Dan, reliability, right? We're going to kind of go into (laughs) your business, we're going to go into what cars you had and what cars you felt were the most and least reliable. So while this is by far not scientific, it's going to be fun.
2: I agree. All right. So let's
1: start by um, talking about your Turo business. So how did you get into um, renting cars on Turo? And this was what now three years ago, four years ago?
2: No, it was actually just about a year and a quarter. It was a year ago, dude. It seemed much longer. I know, I know. Well, I've had so many cars. I mean, everybody loses track, so (laughs) understandable. All
1: right. So, so what? How did you start? Did you just decide to put yours up, and then it grew into
2: a business? It was an accident. Actually, so February of last year, I don't know if you guys remember when I did the video with you on the E46 M3 and sure. selling it and all that. So I had some little bit of capital to use, and I decided, you know, what better way to use some capital than to buy a car that I don't need? So I went, uh, I went and bought a 2019 Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk, and at the time I was traveling something like 85% for work, and I thought, you know, what, what did I just do? I mean, yeah, it's a cheap payment. The leases were great, ton of cap reduction. So I was in the car pretty level with market, but I thought, man, this thing's just gonna sit. I gotta figure out what I wanna do with this. And so I, I, I had this thought to put it on Turo, and for the first few trips, I thought, okay, I'll run it up to the airport when I leave, and I'll drop it off at some parking garage, and then I'll bring it back home when I'm done. The logistics of that were terrible, expectedly, and it drained a lot of time and energy. So on the third or so trip, I ran into the company, which I think we talked about briefly last year, hassle-free car, uh, which is now gone. (laughs) Another casualty of the pandemic and uh, the the next thing I knew, I think I had something like 36 vehicles running on the platform.
1: Wow. 36 vehicles. And so in this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about like your experiences with all those 36 cars. So I I don't really want to get into like, you know, the business aspect of what it's like to rent a car in Turo. We have done that before but I want to talk about the cars that you had. So um, the, I think the interesting part for our viewers and listeners is the ones that were reliable and the ones that weren't reliable and the ones that were absolute nightmares. Uh, so uh, let's talk about the cars that you've had on the platform and then let's talk about the ones that were reliable, that were okay, and then that were absolute nightmares. So kind of sure. be, walk me through the cars that, that you that you were renting. And remember guys, Turo basically, what you, if you showed up at the airport, you could rent your car, right? And then you could take it for a day or a week uh, and then bring it back and uh, hopefully um, not destroy it which actually happened too
2: so we'll get to that but oh yeah
1: but what that well,
2: you had? So take this with a grain of salt when we go into reliability too because this is the hardest type of climate i think you can put cars through or yeah a day a week a month people are running these things full load up to the mountains every day So if you're looking at a use case scenario, hey, manufacturers, I hope you're listening. This is about all the crap you can put a car through. So I had everything from the Cherokee Trailhawk, which I actually wound up getting another one and had another host put two more of in with me. More on that later. Um, All the way to a 2011 Jaguar XJ. So first year, for those of you in the know, nobody intelligent buys a first year Jaguar and nobody intelligent puts it on a rental platform. I had a multitude of manual transmission vehicles, which I knew was going to be a risk, including a manual 2016 Hellcat that I actually still have, an STI. Um, man, we ran everything from Hyundai Elantras to those to a manual 07FJ Cruiser that another host ran with us. I mean, you name it, aside from super exotics, we, we probably had it or something about, like it.
1: How about trucks? Did you have any trucks?
2: Yes. We had at the very beginning, still my favorite, my 2015 Ford F-150 FX4 Lariat, um, Honda Ridgeline that we added a few months ago that's actually still running right now, and a Jeep Gladiator that's just about to hit 30,000 miles.
1: Yeah, so on average, how many miles would you put on these cars? Let's say it was not the worst, you know, renting and not the best, just average. How many miles a year were you putting on a car?
2: Uh, if you extrapolated a monthly, the average was right around 4,600 miles a month. Okay. So running full time as as they should have been in this particular case, I would say between, I mean really about fifty k a year, a little more.
1: Wow, yeah, that's that's a big number. Um, and were you successful at it? I mean, did you have people you know recommending each other, or uh, how 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 strong of a business was it? And let's 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 cut to the chase. You're getting out of the business right now because of this pandemic, yeah. right? Basically, what happened about a month and a half ago? People stopped traveling, and so all those cars at the airport just sat there.
2: Yeah, one of a multitude of reasons, but that was that was the nail in the coffin for sure.
1: All right, so so um, like I, like I said, um, let's start with um, the ones that were very reliable. So okay. out of the cars you had, which were the ones that you didn't have to like spend a lot of money on?
2: Okay, let let's start with the pre-owned ones, the actual surprises, right? Because under okay. warranty and new isn't fair. Right. So the F one hundred and fifty. There are so many reasons why that's my that's become my solid favorite vehicle in the fleet. It was our third highest earning vehicle last year. Had almost thirty thousand miles put on it between oh man, July, uh April when we got it and and right now. Not a single mechanical issue. Not one. Now it, it has the coyote motor, which I wanted over an eco You all can fight each other on that as much as you want. That, that's the coyote. A,
1: that's a five liter that's also in the Mustang, basically.
2: Yes. That's correct. So I was looking specifically for the five-liter Coyote from the Mustang, the six-speed automatic, not the newer one. Um, actually, the only technical issue it had is the panoramic moonroof, but that's fair at 100,000 miles for any vehicle, I think. So 100K, the thing is still trucking along, pun intended. It's definitely had the crap kicked out of it physically and mechanically and just shrugs it off like it's nothing. It's amazing.
1: Wow, and well, I'd um- say- who were who, who your renters? What kind of people would rent that? Would, would that? would that be people vacationing here? Or Would that be people using it for work? What was the kind of the,
2: the customer? Do you know? Specifically the F-150 you're saying?
1: Yeah.
2: A lot of people who brought larger families but didn't need a three-row SUV, which was great. It's exactly what I wanted to happen with it. Um, we did have people who went against Turo's policy and towed. They were usually lightweight campers or some kind of shell they would rent. Right. And then, uh, you know, we had some people who would use it to move. I mean, I can't tell people what they can and can't do within policy. Right. Yep. So it was used what I would consider if I skied every weekend or every other day and had a home down here and up there and used it for work and for moving. It was used like a truck.
1: Yeah. And how, how much was your daily rental on that on, by, on average? How much would people pay to rent an F 150?
2: Average rental last year was $71 a day.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really high, actually. I was thinking a lot less. And guys, keep in mind, Dan is competing with Hertz and Avis and you know the all the other traditional rent-a-car companies at Dia because you kept your uh, fleet at Dia, right?
2: Very close to it, yeah, just off airport property. Yeah,
1: yeah. But it was so you're up there competing with the big boys. So that's that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. um, all right, what's another very reliable car that surprised you or okay. be, or truck?
2: Expectedly, well, maybe unexpectedly, all of the Jeeps start at the top work your way down to the bottom we had a grand except one except one okay what was the one the one was a 2016 grand cherokee um say what you will i guess the rest of them the cherokees which are now almost up to 40,000 miles a piece the gladiator for a first year vehicle i have i have zero complaints at all um the wranglers Uh, 2016 wrangler oscar mike technically with a Fox factory built lift kit, cheap performance parts, right? It was done the right way before we started the company. And then a Rubicon. So between those two being built correctly for rental use, I guess, not a single problem. Those were the highest mild, most abused vehicles we have. And again, the the green one just lost its radiator at 78K, but that's not fair because it was technically my fault.
1: That's really surprising because people usually, when they think of Wranglers specifically, and certainly not Cherokees, like reliability isn't the word that comes to mind first. I think I'm being fair saying that. Off-road might be the first word. And how would people, let's talk about the Wranglers. How would people use the Wrangler? Would they take it uh, and bash it here in Colorado? Because we've got some pretty serious bashing you can do.
2: Well, to be fair, we had trackers in both of the vehicles. And if there was extreme off-roading, it was for the purposes of documenting when damage was done. They did off-road. I would say at least 50, 60% of the trips saw a trail somewhere in them even though it's against policy. They towed at times. Um, You know, I can't tell you they took them off the Rubicon in in California, Roman, but at one point, the first built trip that we did where we provided all the gear and everything for a gentleman who came in from the Netherlands, I think, took the factory-built Oscar Mike and did not take a single paved road on a 3,400-mile trip between here and every state that touches Colorado to the west. So Wyoming, Utah, Man, Arizona and back here in New wow. Mexico and back there. Yeah. And that wasn't was the
1: rental rate on a Wrangler. Is it more or less than an F 150?
2: It was a little bit more. So some, you have to think of Wranglers as seasonal vehicles, though, to be fair. So actually, winter typically saw a pretty good decline, but in the summer at peak usage, the the Rubicon and the lifted Oscar mic would both average about 78 to $81 a day.
1: That's good. Yeah, that, that's really good. Um, and uh, did the jeep's um, four-wheel drive system or any of the kind of the off-road bits break did you have any like locking bits that really disconnectable sway bars all that stuff
2: the key to keeping those in the road roman honestly i lost one wheel speed sensor from trail damage on the on the oscar mike so i mean it wasn't the car's fault aside from that though i mean uh, Again, the, the, the drive shaft angle had been corrected in that one. And as long as you change fluids, you can get to that another time fastidiously. TK's front and rear dip, transmission fluid, especially in those two. If you stay ahead of problems, they just they, they ran and they still do and ran and ran and ran. So
1: you know, you just put your finger on it. People always email us, right? What's the most reliable vehicle? And we buy a lot of I just showed you, the, don't tell them, we'll surprise them, the, the, the latest old car that we bought. Uh, and the one like, consistent narrative that we look for, uh, and it, it is by far the biggest indicator, I think, of whether the vehicle is going to be good or bad, is if it had been serviced and maintained regularly. Right? You can't, you can't underestimate how, how changing fluids you know, be it oil, be it, you know, any of the other fluids that are, is crucially important. And you can get the least reliable vehicles, but as long as you stay up on top of the service, they will run 200,000 miles. It's when you like let them go, you know, every 5,000 mile oil change and you let it go 15,000 miles. That's when bad mm-hmm. things happen. I, I think people think out there that when they hear change oil regularly, that's just some bullshit that the, you know, oil change companies are trying to do. But it's not. It really is crucial to longevity of a vehicle.
2: It is, Roman, and we're not being sponsored or supported for saying right. this. I used to work in automotive service, and I drank the Kool-Aid, right? I'm not telling everybody to go out and get 3,000-mile oil changes, but when you send your oil out for samples and your and your transmission fluid, too, and you're looking at the quality of the stuff that's coming out, I mean, we have so many direct examples of what lack of maintenance versus proper maintenance, poor fluids versus high-quality fluids, especially filters, can do for the longevity of a car. If you use the wrong filter or a cheap filter in a high-performance car, yeah, we can get into later what happens when uh, when you make that mistake.
1: All right, um, any other vehicles we should be highlighting as being very reliable? So, so far we've got uh, basically a Ford product and an FCA product, anything else?
2: Two, two domestics. I mean, yeah, I mean the obvious stuff, we had a Forerunner that was great. I would say let's, let's stick with these sort of unexpected things. Those were the biggest surprises. First your F-150, which got a bad rap, and FCA products, which tend to get a bad rap, but with Sidious maintenance, they they shone through. It Was great.
1: All right, and then um, let's talk about the cars that kind of did okay, but you know, kind of middle of the pack. So they weren't particularly reliable, but they weren't particularly prone to leave you stranded. What vehicles would you put in that category that that you ran?
2: Okay, before we get to that, I I'm going to add one more to the super reliable okay. category that yeah, blew let's go. my mind. We had 2016 BMW M235 convertible. Say what you will about German cars. Say what you will about the N55 motor or any derivative. We really didn't keep that thing up very well, to be honest. That had that still to this day hasn't had a single mechanical issue, not one. Oh, that's okay. surprising that's, as well. A BMW product that 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 hasn't been
1: <laughs> terribly well maintained, but yet was pretty
2: reliable. That's cool. I fear to be fear to see what that thing will be like at 80 90 hundred k. But right now at sixty-two k, it's doing okay. So, all
1: right. All right. All all right. right. Mid-tier.
2: So- Mid-tier expected, I would say we're all of, I mean, fill in the blank, every Hyundai. Um, except for one that will end up in the unreliable category, unfortunately. Um, our Hyundai Alantra had a couple of minor things here and there. Those have the crap kicked out of them for sure. Used a lot for Uber and Lyft on Around, another platform. Um, but those did exceptionally, decently well. Uh, we had a BMW 3 Series GT that got stolen. Um, and actually, the story for another time was just recovered this weekend from being stolen in October. So,
1: Well, yeah. well you can't bring that up and not talk about it. How did it get stolen? Oh, and where God. was it found?
2: <laughs> it was stolen from downtown Denver right near Mile High Stadium back in October. I was on a business trip and got a phone call and that hurt because the Quasimoto car, as some call it, right? The Ugly Duckling 3GT. I adore that stupid thing and I don't know why. Right, so so it got recovered this past weekend, towed into an impound lot, and actually, I'm supposed to be getting an update on it after our call. So I'll have to keep you posted on if it. it's salvageable. If we decided to buy it back, it's obviously been written off for a long time, but uh, it's missing a shifter. Which which to me, if you're missing a BMW automatic shifter, that's a grand right there with program.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you worried that it's gonna that it's you know just trashed or is that all just missing missing a shifter?
2: Uh, i'm worried that they said the interior is pretty trashed and and picked apart and uh, mechanically we have no idea because the battery is dead so that's the big thing i can take risks on a bmw six cylinder that n24 cylinder that car was mid-pack reliability we lost a water pump and a thermostat at about 75k which was expected um it sounds
1: like you spent a lot of time ferrying cars to dealerships or your local mechanic. Which one did you use? You go, deal- I guess, on the warranty car, you go to the dealership, and then afterwards, to keep it affordably, you probably use your local mechanic.
2: Yeah, we did. We had one shop in particular that we kept bringing to, and we're we're good friends with. So Movement Motorsports down in Rhino has been, and Billy and Rob have been an invaluable resource, especially with the higher end stuff, the Jag, the German cars, things like that, where you really have to have the right equipment to get into it. They've been great.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any other mid-pack cars we should talk about before we get to the uh, ones that everybody's interested, in, of course, and those are the ones that uh, didn't.
2: <laughs> the, all, the, all the Subarus, so the STI, we had a, a CVT WRX, don't kill me, and <laughs> a, a manual WRX. All three of those with relatively little maintenance had some issues, check engine lights, EVAP problems, um, nothing with the CVT, surprisingly, but uh, we had a Forester XT that had a couple of issues and a lot of recalls, surprisingly, for 2017. Um, yeah, I'd say the Subarus were expectedly mid-pack. And then uh, most of the German cars that we had were, were mid-pack.
1: Name some of the German cars besides
2: the Beamer. What else do you have? We got a G-Wagon. Have a G-Wagon.
1: Yeah, talk to me about the G-Wagon. How, oh, how, boy. How, oh, my God. That So how much did that run for? That, is, was that your most expensive <laughs>
2: car? Right, yes, this, by, by yeah, by a long shot. They start
1: at a new one. It starts at 125 now. So what year
2: was it? 2013. Okay. We bought it with 57,000 miles, uh, one-owner car out of Arizona and had some physical imperfections, but it was the, one of the cheapest ones in the country in, in that range, actually the cheapest. So we figured we would just run it and see what happened. And uh, honestly, we had a steering knuckle. If anybody's familiar with the steering systems in those cars, it's old over-circulating ball. So one side of the ball decided to leak all of it to grease out, which is common, I guess. Um, aside from that, the sunroof is binding right now, which I, I can't put it in the reliable category and the valve cover gaskets are leaking, of course. But besides that, no, that was actually surprisingly reliable too.
1: And how much would that one rent Still for? Still
2: mid-pack. What's,
1: what's a daily rental Any, for that?
2: Anywhere between 140 and about 230 bucks a day.
1: Wow, Wow. And did people offer that? Depending
2: on the season. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. That that thing that thing got put through absolute hell. We'll have to I'll have to show you what that thing looks like physically. Now, mechanically, it's okay. Physically, it's been torn apart. Literally yeah. So let's
1: talk. Apart. Let's talk about kind of physical damage. So what kind of what was like the most? I would assume fenders, bumpers, right? That kind of thing. Off roading probably like, uh, you know, you get pinstripes right from the from the <laughs> trees and bushes. What? what talk to me about the G wagon. What, what 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 is wrong with it? Mechanically, we
2: know. Externally? Physically. I, Roman, this is the last thing you would have thought of. Physically, Instagram selfies and the damage that is caused by social media <laughs> oh and Instagram God. selfies in general. Um, we couldn't figure out why a handful of the cars, so we have, a, we have the green Wrangler Rubicon, this one, the white Forerunner, and the white Jeep. For whatever stupid reason, we kept getting these dimples on the hood, like two of them, sometimes more. And and it's and these scratches going up the side of the car. We could not for the life of us figure out what it was from. So we went into our Turo message boards and said, hey, confirm our suspicions here. Are people standing and sitting on the hoods and roofs of the cars? And sure enough, it's exactly what it was. So we had to put in our listings and in our disclaimers, especially on the G and the Rubicon, please do not take selfies standing or sitting on the cars. There is still damage on the G wagon from the most recent episode of that.
1: So you mean like okay. basically like, there's my phone. Hey, like that, you know, and standing on top of the hood or the
2: uh, roof of the car. That's what people are doing. Actually go ahead and put your right hand up too, right? Like, 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 oh, like, like this. Yeah. He hey. yep, exactly. Okay. Looking up to the sky, you know, usually pulled about 12 <laughs> feet back. We saw them posted on social media. So yeah, that, that and windshields were our two biggest ones for sure. Uh, wow. Actually yeah. very, very little trail damage. I was surprised.
1: All right. All right. Uh, Social media damage. That's a new one. I've never Social media
2: heard of it,
1: but uh, maybe, maybe we're starting a new uh, thing here. All you uh, Instagrammers and Facebookers and TikTokers, do not crawl on top of a car, at least if it's not your own. <laughs> they're,
2: living, they're living their best life and they're millennials and millennials. Leave them alone, Roman. It's okay. Did,
1: did they Ish. keep their shoes on or did they at least take the shoes off? As a car guy, it just hurts me deep in the soul to like think of somebody with like cowboy boots crawling on top of a G-Wagon or a Jeep.
2: Every time I thought about that exact thing, like steel toes or flip-flops or whatever, it just made me sick. So now I, I, yeah. That leads me to another thing, by the way. Never, ever, ever run a car on Turo that you care about or that you are going to nitpick damage on. Mm. All of the cars have damage. All the cars have bumps and bruises and dings and scuffed bumpers and whatever. You just have to deal with it. Fighting the claims on stuff like that is not worth it. It's
1: Mm. not. Yeah, because Turo says that they'll reimburse you, right? That you can take out insurance. But... You know, what they say and what actually happens in real life are two different things. But that, that's a conversation for a different time. Today we're talking about reliability. And if you guys yep. like this conversation yep. and you want to know more about Turo, let me know in the comments and we can continue this. But we want to make this about reliability, not yeah, what it's like to run a Turo business. Um, so all right, let's go to the one that everybody's waiting for. Uh, let's oh, go yeah. down the list of the, 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 the list of shame, the ones that, that, that broke and you know, almost bankrupted you. Okay. Or did bankrupt yeah. you. <laughs>
2: did did yeah for sure so let's let's start with anything with a manual transmission anything okay. with a clutch uh, that that surprise that was expected okay longevity though right the hellcat clutch lasted 40k which actually was a shock the sti clutch lasted 42 the wrx's clutch lasted 48 so so if you pick up a second hand car with a manual 40 to 50k ish i would say Is about it but then expect that the transmission is also going to have problems too because yeah people don't know how to shift either. Um, The Jaguar unsurprisingly was was the least reliable. Um, (laughs) If I stacked up some sucker company sold us a warranty on that thing too. I felt like Doug DeMuro because every time we'd take it in it was a zero deductible I think a Cadillac platinum warranty on that car. And God love that company Roman, I have never seen a warranty dump so much money into a vehicle to keep it running. Not nitpicky stuff running. What, um, what, what Jaguar was it? Which one was it? 2011 Jaguar XJL, so the first year of the uh, the beautiful, oh, it's such a gorgeous car, the Ian e& Callum redesign. And how I mean, much, if you ask me, if you ask me what went wrong with it, I think the the right answer is where do I start?
1: How much money do you think that the company spent on fixing it?
2: I would say the company spent somewhere in the neighborhood of, well, that company probably spent 71, 7,200 bucks in repairs. Um, To be fair, about half of those were carried out at a dealership because I could not find a third-party shop that either A, would touch it, or B, knew what they were doing. Most of it was coolant leaks and significant oil leaks, we'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I have, um, I really love JLR product, right? I mean, you know, both Jaguar and Land Rover uh, have some of the most iconic, and I would say some of the most engaging vehicles out there, right? Um, so mm-hmm. every time, every time we get one at the office, I can't wait. Uh, I, I, I immediately fall in love with it, especially if it's like a big, powerful Jaguar uh, sedan or sports car, or if it's you know like a Range Rover. Uh, and then you know comes the butt, right? And you <laughs> are the
2: butt, unfortunately, because and this uh, thing had, and this thing had a perfect. It was a one-owner Arizona car. We've got a trend going here. It had a perfect maintenance history, diff fluid changes, everything. I mean, it was the right one to buy. I just, would I buy another one though? Yes, I think that's what you always say about British cars, right? It's such an emotional thing. I'd, of course I'd buy another one, I'm an idiot, right? I'd buy another one in a heartbeat, same year, same everything.
1: (laughs) You did buy another one, tell them what you bought, Dan.
2: (laughs) Just for you. Oh (laughs) God, I bought a 2005 Jag, one owner Jaguar X-Type. So for those of you watching in other countries, a Ford Mondeo, okay? For one owner, 68K manual 3-liter sport for two grand. Hey, everybody's Colorado. only the next type. Raise your hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, or something with that drivetrain in it. Anybody with a Ford Escape? Right, yeah, Ford Taurus, good.
1: I, I own the 2.5 liter. You got the big 3-liter. I'm jealous, dude. I, you know, I always felt the 2.5 was not powerful enough here for the mountains. So you got the good one.
2: Neither is a three liter. Think things like eleven seconds, zero to sixty versus sixteen. It's about in that range. So
1: <laughs> But I loved it, dude. I loved it. I mean, people give that Great. car a, a lot of hate, right? Because it's a Port Mondeo. It's rebranded. But I think that, you know, Jaguar captured the essence of Jaguar and Ford
2: made it reliable. So what more do you want? You have a Jaguar that actually you know, you know what the beauty You know what the beauty of it is, Roman? The haters hated on it so much that they're piled up in junkyards with tons of spare parts. So thank you for that. Please keep hating on that car because then I pay less for parts. And, and, they're,
1: and they're cheap. You can pick them up. You said you bought yours. What? I don't want to say. Do you want to say how much you bought it for?
2: Yeah, I bought it for two thousand bucks with sixty-eight thousand miles on it. It had some issues, but it was running, driving fine. So. Uh, what more? Okay. People,
1: two thousand dollar car. What? That's a Ford, right? I mean, that has, uh, you know, a big leaper on the hood, right? Because you know, Jaguar does Ford. a growler, which is the one that's like that, and then there's a leaper, which is that one. And I think if I remember right, that one has a leaper on the hood. That's what I'd pay two thousand bucks just for that little Jaguar leaping off the hood. It's so badass. The funniest,
2: the funniest part is all the Ford parts, Roman, and then we'll keep going with our list too. I promise. The Ford parts for that thing are so cheap. An oil filter you can get it for like two dollars and eighty cents. The Duratec Diamond Dozen oil filter, but then a fuel pump is seven hundred dollars because that's a Lucas part. Figure that out.
1: Yeah, and that's that's actually pretty common where uh, you can get uh, even Land Rovers where you look under the hood and some of the parts you know are just straight out of a Ford and others are you know, crazy expensive. Um, so let's keep going with the list. So a Jaguar, not surprising.
2: What else? Uh-uh. The su- surprising one was actually the Hellcat. Um, and I heard you had some some concerns with the one that you had too, and some of them were along the same line. Um, man, the clutch. When the clutch came out, it was. I mean, that's fine, that's expected. But four weeks later, it needed a rear end. So people are using this. It is being used like a Hellcat. You know, zero to sixty runs, burnout, I'm sure all sorts of stuff. Rear end starts clunking and whining and getting worse and worse and worse to the point that you can't shift gears or do anything without it sounding like the ass end of the car is going to fall out. So. That got replaced under warranty. The supercharger had a pretty loud bearing noise at especially cold start and heard some stuff rattling in there too. Heard that was common. So that new supercharger. Um, but it was just the one-off check engine lights and misfires. And it's, it's, it's like a German. It's super sensitive to fuel quality, which I would have expected. Um, the bright spot was the brakes lasted 40,000 miles, front and rear pads and rotors, which I would never have thought.
1: Yeah, ours. I we um we had an issue with ours too. I was driving to the airport once, and it started running just like a cabbage cart. Turned out the fuel rail uh, went bad on it. Replaced under warranty. Uh, we only put like twelve thousand miles on ours, so you know, and it wasn't used hard. And actually, I got the automatic just because that manual is uh, uh, it's a challenging manual to drive, right? I mean. <laughs> The deal with that manual is you can you can roast those tires in any gear, uh, and it's terrifying. If, if you uh, if you pop the clutch in like third or fourth gear, the back end will swap with the front mm-hmm. like that instant, instantly. So I, I give you much kudos that you actually gave that to people. To, 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 to How much was that one if you wanted to rent it for a day? How much would a Hellcat cost somebody?
2: I started it at $99 a day and learned very quickly that does not attract the right kind of renter. So that was just that was our marketing car. I wasn't really looking to make money on it ish. But uh typical running rate last year was I think 128 on average on any given day. Should have been a little higher. But uh running a Hellcat at 100 percent usage, yeah. I was actually very surprised with as over engineered as that car was, or, or claimed to be out of the gate, how many critical things had gone wrong in the course of of a year and about twenty
1: five k K R use. That- the reality of that car is the ownership experience will be more like ours, right? People will use it as a weekend car. So, uh, you know, you are definitely the exception, right? Some people will probably daily drive it, but most people will, will save it for cars and coffee or, you know, taking out when the sun is out and the weather is perfect. And so they'll never get to the amount of miles you put on it. How many miles did you put, or do you have on it right now?
2: 47,000 in change.
1: Wow, 47. That's in like one year or about one year, right?
2: We bought it with 16, so 26, 46, yeah, 31,000 miles, 31,000 miles, a little in exactly a year. This month, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I love that car. I mean, 707 or 17, depending on what year you get horsepower for. You know, how much did you pay for yours when you bought it?
2: 46. Two owners, 16k in manual. So had a brief thought to keep it because you know it's manual. Maybe it'll appreciate someday, but probably not this one. It's not in good enough shape anymore.
1: All right, what else? Any others on that uh, shame of
2: anything with a dual clutch transmission? Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: fight me because people, there's still a learning curve to driving something with a dual clutch. And we actually converted, we had a Hyundai Tucson Sport, which I love the idea of because it's turbocharged, insane MPGs, very small engine and easy to do maintenance on, long warranty. That that car has had more issues that have kept it off the road than almost the Jaguar. Wouldn't have been as expensive to fix, but that was maybe I just got a bad one. That was a shock. Everything has gone wrong with that car. Everything.
1: Did, did the Hyundai's that you had uh, have dual clutches, or were they not
2: dual clutches? Because Hyundai they were six. The rest of them were six-speed automatics. This one was the only dual clutch, and and most of the issues were relative to things that fed it fluid. <laughs> like oil and fluids and coolant uh, that torched everything upstream or just creating general clutch shutter. I mean, a transmission service of clutches would have been over two grand on that thing. And at 35,000 miles right now, it's probably not far away from needing one. Will it be warranty? I don't I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that was a surprise.
1: You know, I think there's a lot to be said for if you remember, and you've been doing this for a while, Dan. You remember, like maybe ten years ago, all the Germans rushed to dual clutch transmissions, right? And then it didn't take long before they all rushed back to torque converter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, the only thing that's cool to me, and I mean, I mean, comment on it. You know, what whatever whatever everybody's take is. Sure, they can shift quickly, and they feel interesting. But starting off on a hill, whatever, I just geek out about the fact of knowing it's like working underneath me to engage gears. That's a that's a, a, an engineer dork thing. But if someone's just trying to drive the car every day, think about Ford. Did they really deserve all the heat for the power shift transmission, or was it just people that didn't know how to drive these and ended up in the same type of situation? I don't know. Yeah, it's kind that, of changed my perspective on that, too.
1: Yeah, and it's created a big uh, to-do for Ford with the Fiesta's and the Focuses, right? Uh, I mean, you know, there's a huge recall, lawsuits. Um, let me see if you agree with this, okay? Let's have a little clutch uh, discussion. So there are five now, I think, five kinds of transmissions you can buy today. So I'll name them from my favorite to my least favorite, right? So manual's gonna be my favorite, right? No doubt, would you agree with that? Is that your favorite, manual? Uh, of course. Most engaging, then automatic, then dual clutch, uh, than CBT, because it's a pain in the butt, and then I just found one I actually hate more than the CBT. We have a, a C, uh, CRV hybrid and a RAV4 hybrid, and it's an eCBT, which is basically um, kind of uh, an electric motor that approximates a dual clutch, I mean a, a, C, a CBT. So it's like all of the, the things that are wrong with a CBT, right, with... Electric drive—it's just—it's just—it's just really not engaging. It, 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 it's as close to driving a toaster as you can get when you get to that point.
2: I mean, jumping around in the mountains, like revving up and down, or is it just a non—it's not a synchronous experience anywhere? Do you think?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the bad thing about a, a CBT in my mind is that it drones on. That's obvious, but that you feel like there's a pillow between you and the accelerator, right? So when you push on it. Like nothing happens for a while, and then when something does happen, it's very muted and very slow. With, with the eCVT, it's all that times two, <laughs> because <laughs> just what it's
2: trying to do is save as much fuel as possible, right? So, so, so. Has, anybody ever, has anybody ever found a good CVT? I remember when Nissan came out with them, anything that had a six-cylinder, so the Altimas and the Maximas, seemed like they were okay because there was enough power, but I, the simulation of... Sh- Shifts. I don't know if your your two ECB ECBTs are doing that too, Roman. Trying to simulate shifts like that. Forester, God loves Subaru for trying to be enthusiast centric with it, but man, is that infuriating!
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, we were talking about the Germans uh, going um, uh, to um, uh, regular automatics with torque converters, right? Name uh-huh. a German car that has a CVT. There was one, I think there was, as far as I know, there was one in the in the recent, you can go farther back in the past, there were German cars, but the only one I could think of was an Audi. Audi did a convertible that had a CVT for a while, uh, and that's it, you know, and, and, and I look at the Germans as kind of the, in some ways, the pinnacle of kind of traditional Autobahn burning, uh, you know, engineering. And if the Germans aren't yeah. CVTs, and I'm talking about Audi, BMW, Mercedes, right? Volkswagen then there's a reason they're not doing it. It's not that they don't have the technical engineering expertise to actually build a CVT. It's just that it's so uh, diametrically opposed to what they consider, you know, to be a a Car that you'd want to drive let's say on the Autobahn because that's kind of the standard that Germans use That's I think why there are no German CVTs. Anyway, enough of my rant. Let's go back to you. So any other cars that, that were very unreliable?
2: Not really, actually. We did some pretty fastidious maintenance on most of them. It's just the Hellcat, the Jag, um, you know, I, we, we had a Mercedes CLA. You want to talk about weird transmissions, the CLA did great. I mean, was it the most reliable car we had? No. But we had a CLA, a C-Class, the G-Wagon wasn't bad. I mean, everything you think would not be reliable, and I think that's the real spin on this, actually can be reliable, even if, even if abused to crap if you take care of it properly. That was that was the proof in the pudding.
1: For was sure. there was there one brand that stood out in terms of either being very reliable or being being very unreliable? It sounds like we're talking, you know, about different cars from the same brand, but but is there one brand you would say this is the brand if you're gonna do a toural business you
2: should go with? Most reliable, I mean, duh, it's Toyota. I mean I mean that's that's expected. Forerunners, uh, we had two Highlanders that other hosts put in with us. I mean I mean obviously nothing. Okay, we didn't run Hondas until we had the Ridgeline, so I can't make a fair judgment on that. I know Hondas had some up and down quality lapses, um, but FCA was just man, like you want to talk about an all-around great earning, sought-after vehicle in this market that will last if you take care of it. I'm just I'm dumbfounded at how great those cars did. Absolutely dumbfounded. Um, least least reliable <laughs> yeah anything British let's let's just go there <laughs> right. anything anything British got
1: do you have any minis did you- I,
2: I wanted to uh, I really wanted to oh no we did have a host put in a countryman and that lost uh man what did it lose it lost a vanos solenoid expectedly it lost a turbo it lost the wastegate before it lost the turbo an oil feed and return line a handful of vacuum lines that was a joke it was a 2013 2013 Cooper S Countryman All Four,
1: but wow. it pains
2: me because I adore those cars. They tried,
1: they, they tried, they, they yeah, really funny. tried. It's funny because the BMWs did well. You figure that you know BMW engineers have a lot to say about the Mini product because a lot of those engines are you know, uh, and and now the chassis are identical, right? I mean, they share the same powertrain and they same share the same chassis, and yet here we go. Once again, somehow it doesn't translate when it goes to the UK. I don't know why. I'm not, well, hey, like, all, I,
2: don't know, I don't know, Roman. All I kept thinking about was that CNET video back when uh, the Cooper S Countryman was launched in late 2010, early 11, when it died on him after it sat too long during filming and they couldn't get it to restart. That was kind of a predicate. Like, everybody will fall in love with this car. They're wonderful. They do great in the snow and they're running right. And they, they're screamers. Fast, fun. But holy crap. That was, that was, that was a fun one.
1: All right. Uh, so, so in the last kind of 10 minutes that we have left, uh, tell me about some experiences uh, that were either good or bad uh, doing this business. Let's start with the good and then we'll talk about the, you know, the train wrecks.
2: Okay. The good was I, I've been looking for an excuse. I'd been looking for an excuse to to my wife at the time to uh, uh, buy a bunch of cars. Um, for all of those of you who want to buy a bunch of cars and dream of having a fleet that you could somehow pay for, I mean, yeah, I guess that was that was good. I got to be that person that said you owned X number of cars, and everybody wonders what you do for a living. And losing money was the most common answer. I didn't (laughs) work like that, Dan. (laughs) Oh, you know, I don't. uh, Yeah, we can go into that another time. (laughs) Yeah, but but no, in in, in all in in all seriousness, it was it was getting to meet people whenever we could and 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 learning their travel story. Um, Why are you coming to Colorado? What brought you here? What do you want? getting to almost play travel consultant when we actually had the time to do it and really help someone magnify a vacation was was so cool it's it's a step of going above and beyond for us but you learn so much about so many different walks of life just by talking to people and listening to their stories and their families and helping them pre-plan it's it's you, you almost fall in love all over again after 16 years of Colorado with what a special state this is and, and, and how evergreen it is with tourism when right. it starts back up again. Let,
1: let's talk about the train wrecks. Give me some like really bad yeah.
2: experiences that you had. Oh, uh, vehicles impounded. The worst by far was having the WRX total, one of our WRXs.
1: Oh my, How do um, what happened? Uh,
2: a guy had rented it for a day, day and a half. Usually the way a car gets damaged is when it's rented by a local for a short period of time in mm-hmm um so it came back basically in pieces the guy drove it through downtown was texting on his phone we think and blew a red light and got t-boned by i don't remember exactly what but a large suv at something like 45 50 miles an hour i'll have to send you some pictures you can post them up um it was himself and i believe his girlfriend in the passenger seat They hit hard enough that it totaled the car.
1: Yeah, and so what ended up happening, Tommy, with the uh, um, Subaru that got completely crashed was the guy actually drove it back uh, without getting injured or without his girlfriend getting injured and uh, parked it back at the airport after it got T-boned. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So, you know, the interesting part about this experience is that not only did Dan run kind of a reliability experiment, but because of, you know, the current situation, he lost his business, unfortunately. Mm. You know, when people stopped renting vehicles because they stopped flying, uh, that was kind of, the, as Dan said, the nail in the coffin for his business. Well, definitely an interesting look into, you know, what can happen when you decide to rent out your G-Wagon to hundreds of, uh, of random people out there. And uh, I, hope he, uh, I hope he is able to find a better way forward. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, he's... He'll land on his feet. He's a smart guy, uh, and he, you know, now is a proud owner of a $2,000 Jaguar (laughs) (laughs) X-Type. Believe it or not. There you go. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks for watching and listening. As always, uh, check out tflcar.com for more news, views, and, of course, real-world reviews. Thanks for watching our podcast, TFL Talking Cars. Ciao.